was like, I wrote one song. <laughs> and he, 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 uh, he was like, play me the song. And I was like, no. <laughs> I can't play it in front of anybody. Right. Uh, this podcast is all about you, your journey in music. And we'll talk about your new, the new singles you've been putting out. Oh, thanks. Yeah, thank you. Uh, I did read from Shaker, Shaker Heights. Where I grew up. Born and raised there? All the first 18 years. Wow. Okay, so my family's from Elyria. So it's about, what, okay. 40, 40 minutes away or so? 45 yeah. minutes? Right on. Another Ohio boy. I like it. <laughs> I was actually born and raised in San Diego, but my family was from there. And I was, oh. almost was born... Almost was born in Dayton, actually. My mom was like eight months pregnant with me when my dad got a job in San Diego. So they moved to San Diego. So they cool. had only been there for like a month. But I'd go back every year to, to Elyria and we'd go into Cleveland and everything else. So what was it like yeah. growing up in Shaker Heights? You know, like the wonder years, I guess. <laughs> That's cool. And how did, how did you get into music? Oh God, so late. I, I got a guitar when I turned 30 um, and wow. learned a few. Uh, yeah, I, I always wanted to be an artist of some kind, um, but, uh, you know, started out in visual art, painting and drawing and did that forever. And then got into screenwriting for six years. Uh, and then one day, I just thought, I mean, I've always been a huge music fan. I mean, in college, that's all I spent my money on was CDs and going to concerts. Okay. And did, I did read that. Did, did dad buy you a guitar or did your dad teach you how to play guitar or something like that? Well, it definitely didn't teach me how to play. I, I don't come from a family of any creatives at all. Oh, um, really? But, okay. But my dad did buy me my first guitar for my birthday. Yeah. Wow. Okay. So you were into drawing and painting. That's what you went to school for? Yeah. Okay. And like, was that something that you just like, I'm, I'm curious to know, like, how did music kind of come in that late on? I mean, were you working in, you know, an industry where you're doing drawing and painting or screenwriting? And then how did you, like, how did you make the switch to songwriting? I mean, I fell into it. I, I graduated college um, and got a job teaching kids uh, as an art teacher. Oh, Okay. Um, like inner city kids uh, who were on scholarship at this private school. Like all, uh, all my kids were the inner city scholarship kids and they were amazing. It was like the most fun job ever because they were so appreciative to be at this best school in Chicago. And um, like their moms were, a lot of them with dads out of the picture, moms, like fierce moms, you know, who were like getting sure. these kids, getting their kids into this program. And, and uh Anyway, I loved it. Um, unfortunately, I couldn't really pay my bills. It paid so little. Mm -hmm. um, and I ended up thinking, well, I love movies. I wonder if I could be a screenwriter. I've always loved to journal and stuff. And I don't know, I figured. So <laughs> if you want to hear the long story, I don't know. Yeah, I'd love to hear the long story. Okay. I was living with my best friend from high school. We were, we had, a, we shared an apartment in, uh, in Chicago. He wanted to quit his job. Um, he was working in finance, like uh, trying to be a day trader. And, uh, we were both like, you know what, let's write a screenplay. 
um, totally inspired, this was so long ago, totally inspired by Goodwill Hunting and the two of those guys being like, we're best friends growing up and we wrote a screenplay and we, we watched the Oscar. Like, should we just try to write a screenplay and see what happens? <laughs> <laughs> so um, and we had no idea what we were doing. We never took a class. We never even read a book about screenplays. We bought like a, two of those scripts off the street, you know, like just oh, to see, wow. the, see like the format. Sure. And uh, we were like, well, Chicago's freezing right now. Um, it was winter time and we were like miserable in the winter. And uh, we were like, let's go somewhere warm in someplace we've never been and go on an adventure and write a screenplay while we're traveling. So um, we flew to Cape Town, South Africa. Whoa. Yeah. We had very, <laughs> it wasn't we had like very, you're like, we're going to go to Florida or, you know, California. <laughs> you go all the way to Cape Town, South Africa. We were like, where on the other side of the world is it summer? And, uh, he was like, you know, I've always heard Cape Town's supposed to be amazing and summer there now. So we looked at tickets and we were like, okay, the only thing that's expensive is the flight. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, once you get there, like, I mean, it was, it cost nothing when we were there. This was so long ago. I mean, a beer was a quarter. Oh my gosh. You know, we rented the sickest house. Um, with a pool overlooking the ocean for like four hundred three bedrooms for like four hundred bucks a month. Oh my gosh! <laughs> Paid two hundred bucks a month, and we were like, "Well, all right." And then I got a job teaching down there, so I was making a little cash, and mm -hmm. we were living like kings. And we, you know, um, the class I was teaching was at this high school, but it was like an elective after after like three p.m. Like kids that wanted to stay and take it. It was a American, uh, American history and culture class through film and which I invented for myself. Like I just walked into this school and was like, I, I know I had totally bullshitted and was like, <laughs> I, you know, I'm a screenwriter, an American screenwriter. I'm here writing and I'd love to teach a class and make a little money. I think I could add something to your curriculum. And the headmaster was like, yes. Okay. Wow. That was my next question. How did you get into the school? But you just walked right in there and said, hey, I got an idea. <laughs> right in. And uh, wow. he was like, he was like, if you want to give a speech at, at lunch, you know, to the whole student body, like <laughs> nine through 12, uh, you know, telling them what your class is going to be and they'll get some credit, you know, some after school, you know, extra credit if they want to take it and we'll pay you guys from, you know, from school. And I was like, all right. And like all these kids signed up that, you know, they were just obsessed with anything American. So they were like, yep. Yeah, okay. And we just watched films throughout the years and discussed them and discussed American culture and history, uh, you know, through those films, like, you know, it wouldn't be discussing like the fifties, we'd be watching rebel without a cause. And we'd be, you know, in the seventies, we'd be watching Chinatown and discussing how it was about the Vietnam war, you know, mm -hmm. I, you know, um, anyway, I'll, I'll, I digress. So uh, we spent a year there, went on safari for a month. I mean, it was amazing living like wow. kings. And every day we, you know, the rest of the time we, you know, meet at a coffee shop and, um, and write all day and meet people and had crazy experiences. It was awesome. And uh, I don't know, like I came back to New York 
well, I moved to New York, I should say, not came back to. Um, and I was like, my friend uh, at the time from, from college, at the time was Harvey Weinstein's assistant. Whoa. <laughs> so being, being brutalized. Um, and being so brutalized, that, <laughs> yeah, I'm sure, yeah. right? <laughs> Just like, like Kevin Spacey in, in every, in like, a, in, 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 in like several movies, he's, you know, <laughs> yeah, yeah. so uh, he was miserable, but he was like the only person I knew in the film business. Sure. So we came back with a screenplay and I was like, all right, well, Jeff, here you go. Can you give me some notes and maybe you can give it to Harvey. <laughs> <laughs> uh, anyway, so he gave it, he would just, periodically he, he, he'd give me notes and he, he, he was a film major. So he, that's what he wanted to do as well. So he was a great guy and he would just sit us down and be like, okay, we got to do this, got to do this. And we just worked on it, worked on it. And then eventually I realized this was not the script, you know, I wanted to make. And I started writing on my own without my friend. Uh, I just wanted to make my own, write my own script. So I did that for years for like, I lived in New York for like six years. And I sold two of them. I wrote six screenplays over six years, like one a year, wow. while like while like waiting tables and mm -hmm. you know doing the starving artist thing. Sure, living on a you know ten bucks a day for food, like basically a couple of slices of pizza from coins in the couch, and yeah, you know. Um, and uh, and then eventually I sold uh, two screenplays, two features, but they didn't get made. By the companies that bought them and it was so frustrating um that uh i was getting so frustrated and i was about to turn 30 years old and i was like man i i didn't really ever care about age mm -hmm. but like as a number until 30 hit mm -hmm. and i've never cared since it's odd just that one year right 30 here was something about 30 i don't know it was like maybe societal pressures and uh -huh. you know i went to northwestern university and it was a pretty good academic school and yeah all my all my friends from there went into stuff that was like you know finance or law or medicine or you know real professionals not not artists mm -hmm. so they were all like on their way and you know moving on with their life and kind of i just felt a little like i got nothing to show for myself like um Anyway, so out of frustration, I got a guitar. My dad was like, what do you want for your birthday this year? And I was like, you know what? I think I'd love to learn how to play a guitar just for fun. Oh. And so this guitar I wanted, you know, he, uh, he, he got me this guitar. And it was all of a sudden my, my prized possession. Mm -hmm. um, and he was really cool about it. Like, it was it was it was it was too expensive of a guitar for someone who never couldn't even play the G chord, you know. Sure, it was so you got a really nice one right out the gate. Not like super nice, but I mean, usually right. people's first acoustic guitars like a hundred bucks. Right, right, right. Turns into plywood. It turns into firewood. You know. It's right. Like exactly. Exactly. Mine wasn't mine wasn't super nice, but it was nicer than that. It was certainly nicer than than someone's first guitar should be. Okay. But I tell you, every every kid who's ever asked me um, any advice, 
Mm-hmm. First thing I say is get yourself a guitar that's too nice for you. Okay. Because it makes you play it. You feel you're guilted into it. You'll play it so much more. I like that. That's because my son was just asking for a guitar and I was like, my wife's like, we should get him one. And I'm like, yeah, let's just get him like the cheapest thing to see if he cares. <laughs> but that's a great idea. Now it's like, hey, this thing's expensive. You got a really well, yeah. nice one. <laughs> you better learn. I would take him into a guitar shop and let him play a few, like up to a certain point of, you know, monetarily that you want to go. Right. And, you know, like give him the SG right away. (laughs) Like an A, a B and a C, but make sure the C is not more expensive than you want to go. And then, and he's invariably probably going to choose the level C. Of course. And then, and then battle him a little bit and be like, but this is expensive. I mean, it's your first guitar. You don't know how to play. And then, Make him understand that when he gets level C for his first guitar, he's going to be like, you better play this thing, dude. Like, I like um, that. My dad didn't even say that to me. That was something I put in my own head. It was like, I need to learn this. I'm embarrassed when, I, when other guitar players see this. And they're like, you don't even know how to play and you have that guitar. Right. It, it, I was embarrassed to own it. I was like, I better learn how to fucking play this. So... That's one of the pieces of advice I give younger artists when they ask. <laughs> I'm going to ask, ask for- you that same question again at the end, but that's, I love that <laughs> that you got into that right away. Cause that's, yeah. that's, I like that. I've never heard that. I've done a lot of these interviews and no one's ever, ever brought that advice in. I like that. Yeah. I think the usual advice you're going to get from someone is like play every day. Man. Yeah. Don't stop. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's about as, as about as pat of an answer as a journalist asking a musician a songwriter like so what comes first words and music oh right <laughs> you're like well like, sometimes this <laughs> and sometimes that uh, never heard that question. <laughs> only been answering that question every day for 16 years but okay sure sure uh anyway so i i used the guitar i had no inkling that i would become a musician mm-hmm. i learned I just loved to sing growing up, like in the shower, in the car, and I love music so much. But you were never in the chorus, choir, or music, like yeah, yeah. band or anything up. like that? Oh, I was, never, I was never in a band or anything. I didn't grow up playing any instruments. But I, um, you know, I was in the chorus as a kid. Okay. Know? Like, if you had to choose, you know, in like eighth grade, you have to choose, like, whether to be in the chorus or to take an instrument or whatever. I, I like to sing, so I was in the chorus. Sure, you weren't, yeah, but you weren't, like, in the chorus, like, every year through high school or musical no, I theater, yeah. I wasn't that guy. I mean, I did a couple of musical musicals, but only because I went to an all-boys school, and the girls' school would do the plays with us. Oh, there you go. <laughs> so it was, like, like, one of the only ways to meet the girls from the girls' school. But it's not like I was ever a lead, or, you know, or anything. Right, like right, that. right, right. I'm from 10th grade. And, uh, and then I was, like, this, I was like, I don't like musicals at all. I don't want to, I'm not into this kind of music at all. So, um, I don't know. I mean, maybe had they done like Tommy or something. I would oh, sure. <laughs> I don't know. Um, I bet you there's a lot of kids these days that, a lot of schools these days that are doing like, their version of Bohemian Rhapsody and their version of like the Elton John, you know, the Rocket Rocket Man, and Rocket Man, like yeah, all musical movies that have come out like and, and Rent and yeah, I don't know, just a bit more like you know music that maybe a ninth grader might be more want to sing, yeah, yeah. 
like the pajama game. Like, who wants to sing that? Like, I. <laughs> anyway, so I was like, I don't want to, do and I didn't want to be on stage. I didn't have that urge to, to like, to for the spotlight. Mm-hmm. I always wanted to do creative things that were behind the scenes, painting and drawing, and writing, and I, I, I would get shy, and I was like, I don't want to be, like, the guy who's like seeking attention or mm-hmm. i didn't want to be an actor I like didn't, the, you, know. you don't want to have the spotlight no that took at least two years on tour when i first started touring playing music to even be comfortable on stage even oh, touring wow. every i was just like you know so so painfully shy and nervous um i couldn't even open my eyes on stage i couldn't talk to the talk between songs mm-hmm. my palms would just sweat like between every song, I just had to like dry my palms off on my jeans. And that's all you would hear. It's like, and then I'd say thank you at the end of a song and like dry my palms and play another song. Wow. Or I might say this song is called such and such. Sure. But um, anyway, so I got, so I get this guitar. I'm living in New York. And every time I'm sitting down at the cafe below my apartment in the East Village, um, it was on First Avenue between Third and Fourth Street. I uh, I was living with uh, my then girlfriend. Um, we had lived together for six years. I met her in college. I stayed with her when when I first moved to New York, mm-hmm. and then we just started dating. And then we found an apartment together. Um, and I did, she was my first like real girlfriend, where I was like we were saying I love you to each other. We lived together and. Mm-hmm. Six years later, everything was real comfortable, and I liked her a whole lot, but I, w- I was like, this is not my person. I don't know how to get out of this relationship. Mm-hmm. How do you break up with someone? I've never done it before. Sure. Um, so I had all these feelings going on in my head that I was writing screenplays that were like comedies. Um, I didn't, I don't know. There's something, all, everything I was writing, I just didn't. I was trying to sell, you know, I was thinking like, I want to pitch this to a studio. I'm thinking like big budget comedies. I'm imagining Ben Stiller and Will Ferrell and Adam Sandler and like big comedies and trying to write jokes and, Mm -hmm. and it just wasn't really me. Um, I had all these like sensitive feelings about wanting to break up with this girl and what do I do? How do I become the real me? I feel like, I'm an imposter. Mm-hmm. Uh, so the guitar at first was like a meditative device for me, just learning a couple like G, C, and D. And I'd strum and strum and learn maybe a finger picking pattern and just play for hours on the couch, thinking about what I should do. Um, oops, sorry. Um, so Wait, am I supposed to be recording this audio? No. Oh, okay, good. <laughs> There's something I have to do next that I have to record the audio on my phone. I was like, oh, God. No, it's oh. all good. Okay, so I just, uh, I learned like a couple Dylan songs because they were, mm-hmm. he was all I was listening to at the time. Dylan, Paul Simon, Beatles, Elliot Smith, Nick Drake, all Mel- Neil Young, all this like singer-songwritery mm-hmm. acoustic music that's what I was listening to and I was like all right well 
if I learn a couple of those songs by those artists that are that ha- songs that have like just basically three chords and the truth, sure, I can I'll learn a bit how to play guitar and then I can sing along to those songs and then I can you know not just sit here as a meditative device and play, but I could actually like sit here and like sing don't think twice it's all right, mm-hmm. you know, or um, some of my other favorites. Anyway, once I learned a couple of their songs and was singing along, I was like, I'm a writer. Why don't I just try to write my own lyrics, my own melody, you know? Mm-hmm. And I wrote this one song is called winter. First song I ever wrote. Oh, wow. And, <laughs> That's a big one I, for you too. <laughs> yeah. I didn't know, obviously I didn't think I'd ever play it for anybody. So one of my closest friends my, um, from Northwestern is uh, Zach Braff, who was the star of Scrubs at the time. Mm-hmm. He's done a bunch of, obviously, a bunch of huge movies as well. Garden well, State. Time, yeah. He, had, he, he and I were just basically like giving each other notes on our script. So what would become Garden State was his, that screenplay that I was giving him notes and he was giving me notes on mine. Wow. And, and that was like, he was about in second or third, second season of Scrubs by then. Mm-hmm. So he was living in LA by this time and had quit his waiting tables job. Mm-hmm. And uh, he was in my apartment in New York. We were walking around and he saw uh, this guitar sitting. I never told anybody that I played guitar. None of my friends. Like, the only one who knew was my girlfriend mm-hmm. and my dad, my mom, my sister. But he saw the uh, guitar in my, like sitting um, by my couch. And he was like, whose guitar is that? He's like, yep, Deborah's, it was my girlfriend at the time. And I said, uh, no, it's mine, uh, and, you know, sheepishly. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. You play guitar? And I was like, well, I mean, not really. I, you know, I, I, wrote, I, was like, <laughs> I, I was like, I wrote one song. And he, 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 uh, he was like, play me the song. And I was like, no, <laughs> I can't play it in front of anybody. Right. And, and this is my closest friend. And I was, I was like, finally, he kept baiting me. And I said, all right, man, but you got to turn around. Because there's no way I'm going to be able to like, look, <laughs> look at, at you. <laughs> so uh, he was like, fine. So he turns around. I play the song. He turns around and his eyes are like welled up with tears. And I was like, kind of shocked like that there was that sort of reaction from anybody let alone him Mm -hmm. and uh so he was like you have to make a demo of that song and i'm sure i'm sure bill lawrence he's talking about bill lawrence who created scrubs Mm -hmm. the executive producer he's a huge music fan he's like bill's gonna love that like just make a demo of it just sing it into a mic play it and sing it like just like he's played it for now for me right now and who knows, maybe he'll put it on the show. Like he's, uh, they're always looking for new music they can afford. Cause at the time licensing and syncs was not something that major artists were allowing TV shows and commercials mm-hmm. to use their, their songs unless they paid them like millions of dollars. Sure. And a, a show like Scrubs wasn't going to pay, you know, someone like, uh, you know, the Beatles, uh, you know, five, right. ten, five, ten million dollars to use one of their songs, or Paul Simon song, um, you know, that might cost three million bucks. Uh, so they would were always looking for people who kind of sounded similar that they could afford. Mm-hmm. 
Mm -hmm. And my stuff sounded similar to Paul Simon. Uh, so, so I made a demo of it. I sang it into a, a mic in my buddy's bedroom, another friend of ours that we went to college with, who was trying to be a musician, had a little Pro Tools rig in his bedroom, just like a 58 mic and, a, oh, and his okay. iMac, you know? Like uh -huh. nothing, no, no gear. And um, I doubled my vocal, so it, had a, it sounded like it had a little reverb, like Elliot Smith. I, I heard that he did that. Okay. Um, and uh, then I sang a harmony on top of it. And that was it. That was the track. Like, no, no redoing anything, just... Straight through, wow. And uh, sent it to Bill. And um, three weeks later, Bill emailed me and was like, hey man, I love that song. I got the perfect spot for it on Scrubs. Do you, do you, can we use it? And I was like, what? <laughs> <laughs> wow. Well, looked up for my, for my laptop trying to work on the screenplay that no one's ever gonna buy. And, uh, and I'm like, what now? Uh, like on my first cell phone I ever had. Um, and that's how long ago this was. I'm dating, I'm, I'm trying to date it for you. I love it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so this was like 16, 17 years ago. Mm -hmm. And so I was like, yeah, man. And I didn't even know anything. Um, so uh, they paid me enough. They paid me. Uh, I'm not going to tell you what they paid me, uh, but um, they, they paid me enough to pay my, my rent for quite a, quite a while. Wow. Um, more money than I had made uh, in my entire life doing anything. And not like a ton of money, but like right, right, you know, a decent know. chunk of money. A, uh, like my the biggest check I had ever seen. All right, that from something that I created, and so uh, I think a week later it aired because they're you know the music is the last thing they put in in a show. Mm -hmm. They finish everything, and then they temp in score and they te temporarily put in. Um, you know, songs maybe they can't afford or right. whatever. And then at the like a few days before they lock picture, uh, they they find the song and they they put it in. And so I'm sitting there with my girlfriend watching the episode, like the, you know, a week later or something. And we're just looking at each other like, oh my God, I can't believe this. And it turned out to be like what Scrubs fans, it's like their favorite scene of the entire series. Wow. And it shut down the NBC at the time it was on NBC. Then they switched to ABC at the time it shut down the NBC website after the show aired um, from so many people trying to figure out what was that song? Where can I get it? Oh my gosh. And at the, so my buddy who I demoed that song in his room was like, you gotta, he was like, let me make you a MySpace page. <laughs> so you can at least put up the song. Uh -huh. So people can like, know who you are see a picture of you and listen mm -hmm. to the song mm -hmm. and that and then i hit the ground running people just started writing me and so this was the first thing i ever did artistically creatively where the audience came to me and i didn't seek an audience mm -hmm. so i had been spending my entire life up until the age of 30 like seeking an audience in some way of like i'm an artist in some way in some capacity um support me Mm -hmm. <laughs> you know? sure and of course the first thing that i ever tried that i didn't think 
that I didn't seek it out. I just mm-hmm. did it for myself, like, like almost just writing a diary entry. Now, of course, it helps when your best friend hears it and is the star of a TV show and, you know, sends it to the producer, you know, whatever. But but how many times does a song make it into a, a movie or a TV show and no one cares, right? I mean, it's just like a soundtrack well, to what's happening. A billion times now. Right. That's what I mean. Like, for people to seek it out and, and, and you know, try to find that scene, shut down the website that says something about the song. Well, that made me, that gave me some courage, some uh-huh. confidence. To like, and my buddy called me and said, you got to move out to LA. Because at the time, New York, every band I'd go see, like in the small little haunts, mm-hmm. were, were, were just trying to sound like the Strokes. Oh, okay. There was that time. Yeah. Every, the time of the bands. <laughs> everyone was just like, the, the acoustic singer-songwriter thing hadn't really hit so much yet Mm -hmm. but the sync the licensing world that changed everything for the acoustic singer songwriter because then Grey's Anatomy came around and uh, they just started using so many of my songs that every song they played in their episodes was like either a male or female with an acoustic guitar or piano Mm -hmm. like Mm -hmm. with songs that they wrote and, and then they put a Chiron underneath saying like who, oh. who wrote and the name at the end of the episode and you were like sweet you know? right sure wow um and that was a, that was like everyone then moved out to la it was like the gold rush <laughs> everyone in new york was just like oh then there's gold in them hills right uh, and everyone came out to la and um was playing in a few different places the hotel cafe largo and there's tiny little singer-songwriter haunts, and the music supervisors became um, the, the the radio program directors from what like the '70s were like they were they had all the power now. They were just like launching careers just uh-huh. by sitting in the hotel cafe at Largo, playing a little you know 30, 40 minute set of your songs. You bring a burn CD and you leave it in your car. And every, every time I'd play, a music supervisor from some show would come up and say, what was the fourth song you played? I want that in Grey's Anatomy. Uh, do you have a copy of it? And I'd run out to my car and give them a burned CD of that song. Um, and like the next week it'd be in it. Oh my uh, gosh. Yeah, it was the gold rush. Uh-huh. Now, now it's changed because sure. everything changed after about 10 years of that. Luckily I got that 10 year window like 150 syncs of my songs, like all my songs. Basically, I put out an album and every 10 songs show up in some TV show or movie or commercial. Wow. But like, it was still the time when like Paul Simon and those guys, the Beatles and Dylan, they still weren't allowing them to use their songs. Then everything changed with streaming because so much money was gone that all the publishing companies were like, uh, yeah, so we're going to slash our prices on that Paul Simon song. What do you, what do you need? Yeah, you know? right, right. <laughs> so now you can turn on it, you turn on your TV and every commercial you hear is like, it's either something, it's either something brand new that a major label wants you to. It's pushing, like, right, yeah. Or it's like, you know, a Rolling Stone song. 
you know yeah so anyway that's that's the deal that's pretty wow. much so that first version of winter that made it into scrubs that was just that that version that you had cut at your your buddy's house on that uh 58 sure mike yeah well my whole my whole bedroom the whole first album was a bedroom record like they were all demos that i just and by the they were all the songs had been in tv shows and commercials by that time so i just put it up on itunes myself that album we were here and it immediately shot i put it on myspace like hey i put my album up on itunes and it shot to number one on itunes because people have been waiting where can we get these songs Mm -hmm. And it started a major label bidding war because they were like, wait, this dude has written 10 songs. They're 10 demos. They've all been in TV shows and commercials. And he puts it up as his, himself on iTunes. And it goes to number one. Like, so all the major labels were like, and I, I chose Columbia because mm-hmm. it was the, the label of Dylan and Springsteen and Paul Simon and Miles Davis. And um, so I was like, oh yeah, Columbia sounds cool. I, I, knew nothing. <laughs> I literally knew nothing and they were like so yeah and i had the balls and the the ignorance to just say oh yeah but you're not allowed to change the album <laughs> yeah but you just got to throw your name on it and help distribute it <laughs> you're not touching these songs <laughs> no they didn't just distribute it like they assigned me an a and r guy who i don't even remember his name because i had never met him <laughs> uh, and then I'll tell you a really funny story. I haven't told this story in forever, but so I play for Columbia. I play, I go to New York. Uh-huh. I play for, I, I, my man, I, I had a manager at this point because I needed someone to uh, find, she's still my manager. I needed someone to find uh, a way to do the deals with the TV shows and the commercials that all my songs were getting put in. Mm-hmm. So she uh she took me around to the major labels and i played for the presidents and their staff in their rooms you know and um that must have been nerve-wracking i would think since you said that yeah i never i had never even played live shows really I, i i was terrified but anyway um I ended up signing with Columbia and the time the president of Columbia was named Steve Greenberg. Mm-hmm. And, uh, he was standing like as close as you are on zoom to me, like, right, row. Right. like maybe 30, <laughs> like 30 people in the room and he's right there. And I'm playing, you know, I played maybe like six songs. They all clap, whatever. I go to the next label. They do the same thing. And uh, my Manager calls me and she goes, and I'm out in New York with my friends at this time, having a couple of drinks down at the uh, Mercury Lounge, going to see a band. Mm-hmm. Can't remember what band I was going to see. At the time, I was smoking cigarettes. It's been so long, but I'm, I'm standing between bands. I go out on the street having a cigarette, and this guy is standing next to me, and it's Steve Greenberg. And he looks at me, and this is like, three hours after I just played in front of his face (laughs) and my manager calls and we're like, and I had gone in and she was like, all right, let's go with Columbia. I was like, yes, let's go with Columbia. I signed to Columbia. Like after I played for the labels, we ran back to the basement of Columbia records. And she was like, let's get it done quickly before they like, you know, (laughs) change their mind or something. (laughs) Like I 
She's like, I can't believe the deal they're offering. You know, you got it. She was a genius to get the bidding war. Okay. She was like, I can't believe this deal. Um, so let's run back. So we ran to the basement. Like their lawyer was there. My lawyer, she, she called a lawyer. It was like, all right, well, you know, like <laughs> literally just boom, 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 boom. Like just sign, just sign. So then I run into Cyril, literally four hours later, three hours, four hours later, see Steve Greenberg on the corner as I'm smoking a cigarette. And he looks at me and I was like, hey, what do you, I was like, what's up? Hey, uh, what do you think about that? I forget the band because he must have been down there checking him out. You see him, yeah. And he was like, yeah, cool, they're cool. And I was like, he's like, what do you think? And I was like, cool, I, I liked him. And he goes, and this is dead serious. He goes, so uh, what do you what do you know about this guy, Joshua Raiden? Do you think his music is good? <laughs> was, I literally did a double take. I thought he was joking. I mean, I, I just met him. I just played for him four hours ago and just signed a huge deal to Columbia yeah, Records. And I quickly, within 10 seconds, realized he is not joking. <laughs> he had no, he's looking at me going, he didn't know who I was. And I was like, that it's, what do you, it's, that's me. Oh. <laughs> so embarrassed. So I knew he was like, you know what I mean? Not. Like, oh, just kidding, you know. Like, oh, right, right. I mean, his face was bright red, and I literally put my cigarette out, walked away, and called my manager and was like, we made a huge mistake. We, we made a huge mistake. Uh-huh. And she's like, well, I told her the story. <laughs> and, and the next, uh, I'm sure it had nothing to do with me, but I'm sure it didn't help. The next week, everyone from Columbia, from Steve Greenberg down, was fired. Everybody. Oh my gosh. Top down. All the A&R staff, everybody. Yeah, oh my gosh. And A&R guy they assigned me, like everybody. And so I was a man without a home, it was crazy. Um, And it's a terrible position to be in because the whole new staff that gets brought in it's a lose-lose for anyone. If, if, if I succeed, they didn't, if I succeed, they don't get credit for signing me. Yeah. They didn't sign you. Right. So they're not going to really push the fact that you're there. They're going to, uh, they're, they're not going to push me because why would they want me to succeed? They want their signings to succeed, succeed because if I do, that's just proof that the people who signed me knew what they're doing. Right, right, yeah. right. Um, so anyway, the, and, and on the other side of the coin, if I fail, it's like, they're like, well, no big deal. We inherited him. Right. We could just drop, you know, we'll just drop, you know, whatever. But I had a six record contract. You know, like, oh, wow. oh, so it wasn't like they signed you to a one or two record deal. You, you had like a huge contract with them. Wow. The biggest new artist deal, Sony, Columbia was owned by Sony. Uh-huh. It was the biggest new artist deal that Sony had given in 10 years. Wow. Wow. And so when they made that deal, I was like, they were like, you're a priority. Sure. So, you know, talk is cheap. Like they put it, they, anyway, long story short, I, they put out my album. 
it's not a radio record. There's no mm-hmm. singles on it, quote unquote. You're not going to go to top 40 radio with winter. Right, right. You know? But you already had hits. I mean, if you already had all those songs and shows, they knew. <laughs> but at the time, and I'm sure it's major labels. I don't know. I haven't been on a major label in quite some time. But um, all they cared about was radio. Okay. Um, and so, and they would like make a hit, like a radio hit, a radio hit. There was no radio hit on my record. There, wasn't, there weren't even any drums on the record. <laughs> sure. Um, so maybe, you could, uh, maybe a radio hit on like NPR, you know, but that's yeah. not a quote unquote hit for a major label. A major label is like K-Rock. Right, you know? if you get on, yeah. I, I've worked in radio for forever, if, if 16 not, years, they're, and it was they're like, like... Yeah, they're like a major label, Columbia. They, they That's got to be like, you know, they had John Mayer at the time. They were like, we want another John Mayer. Right. We want, at the time, they wanted that Room for Spares record, like, with uh, Your Body's a Wonderland. Like, they were like, we want that. Mm-hmm. It's supposed to be the next... And if it's not getting played on that, those stations, like, you know, thank you anyway. So they didn't get one radio ad, obviously. Um, and I mean, they didn't put any money behind it either. They were, I was a man without a home. Uh-huh. And uh, so when I went in to make the next album, um, I made it the way I wanted to make it with the producer who produced all the Elliott Smith records, Rob Schnaff. That's right. And yeah with his Elliot's microphone and in Whoa. the same studio, XO and, and Sunset Sound. That's cool. I turned it in, I turned it in. They were like, we don't really hear hits, quote unquote. <laughs> and I was like, I don't make hits. I don't know what you want from me. I don't, I'm, that's not who I want to be. And they're like, well, we can't really release this album. This was the Simple Times album. They're, they can't really, mm-hmm. can't really release that without a radio hit. You know, if we're gonna put all this money into it, radio promo, um, and I was like, all right, fine. So I gave them all their money back that they gave me. I, I didn't, I hadn't spent any of the money they gave me on the deal. The first, I mean, I spent a tiny bit. Sure. Like, on rent. To on give the them, yeah, but to give them it back, say, hey, I don't, wow, that's bold, but, right? Yeah, I lost about a month's worth of sleep over that decision. But I'm oh glad gosh. I did. Um, and so I was just like, I, I'm not going to be able to sleep at night if I'm letting these people tell me who I'm supposed to be. I think I was just, by that time, I was like 31. I was, I was an adult. I wasn't mm-hmm. like an 18-year-old kid being like, ooh, you're going to, you know, I was like, I'm happy already. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I gave them all their money back, and I was just, I started making indie records. And that second record, the one that they, quote, unquote, they didn't want, that didn't have the hits, had like one of the biggest songs you've ever done, right? My most popular song. Uh, it went top ten in ten different countries. That song, I'd rather be with you. Yeah, and, it, and in America, it went number one on iTunes when it came out. And <laughs> that must have felt good. Aside from the it, fact that the song did so well, but just to kind of like that happened also because I signed to a major label in London. I signed to Warner outside. They were they were Warner outside of everywhere but America. Oh wow! Okay. So they were working it hard. And the, and the guy who took over Warner at that time as the head of Warner, had he signed me to an indie label, but he was upped to Warner bottom out. And he's mm-hmm. the guy who, who, who originally signed David Gray, Ray LaMontagne, oh, Damien. Wow. 
uh, all those, those, those three big singer songwriters and he exploded those records. Um, like David Gray's white ladder that sold 20 million records. And, right. Uh, it was called fourth floor records, this label. And so I was like, dream label, dream label signed to his label. And he was like, he went to, he got up to Warner made CEO like a week after he signed me. And he was like, I'd rather be with you. I'm going to make that a radio hit. And he did. Wow. That's what wow. a major label. When he just, when you just, when the head of the label goes in and goes, when Jimmy Iovine signs Lady Gaga and says, this is my number one priority. I mean, obviously Lady Gaga is extremely talented, but sure. when, but you know, Columbia did the same thing with Adele, the same thing, the same time I signed to, they signed Adele and obviously Adele's, you know, massively talented, right. but they were like, that's, they, they walked her into every radio station was like, this is our number one priority. Mm-hmm. I'm not saying I'm as talented as Lady Gaga and Adele. I just mean it, it, it. You have to have that kind of talent that they have, but you also have to have the you have, uh, you have to have the head guy being like, "This yeah. is my number priority." Right, and it does, and it, and it works, and it works because I mean, coming from radio, I know that they come in. I mean, the record people come in, and then they can negotiate with the PD and say, "Okay, this is my new signing. This is my priority." get them on the air. And then when your Christmas show comes around, I'm going to give you this massive artist from my roster of people. Right. Or that's sure. kind of, they can. And everyone can, says I'm payola doesn't exist, but it just doesn't exist in maybe briefcases full of cash, like in the sixties. Exactly. You know, it's, or cocaine, you, you know, but like, <laughs> right. it's, you know, but you'll it's, give me this one gets, and I'll give you that one. Right. Yeah, it's it yeah. Just, it's, you know, it's, I'll, I'll scratch your back if you scratch me. Sure. And you say so, it every and, day. So, yeah. So, so people are always like, well, my mom, especially my dad, why don't I hear you on the radio station? Well, I'm like, because I don't have any major label president being like, <laughs> right. Well, Walking also, me also, around, trying to bid me for, trade me for whoever to be on there, yeah. whatever. And if you listen to Top 40 or Hot AC, because now Hot AC radio has become the exact same thing as Top 40. Yeah. Uh, you know, it's a 12 song playlist or something that goes like Beyonce to Rihanna to mm-hmm. Bruno Mars to these huge pop songs um, that are really upbeat. And, you know, um, and it's they like, look at you in a 15 minute increment. It's all yeah. a quarter. And it's like, yeah. and that's and why like, they'll play the same <laughs> artists three times in one hour. Try throwing one of my songs in between Rihanna and Beyonce and see how many people. <laughs> In, in their driving in their cars, you know, and, you know, change the channel because they want to listen to Beyonce and right. Rihanna. And they want they, to listen to Beyonce every time they get in the car and they don't care if it's the same song, which is, and they also blows that, my mind. That pop feel, you know? Right. And every now and again, a song like I'd rather be with you breaks through like, you know, or like Ed Sheeran's a perfect example. Or Lumineers are pretty. The biggest, you know, musician in the world, basically. Um, but he had to make his songs way more pop sounding than that first album he had. Uh-huh. Even, though, even though he had hits on that first album, you know, it, it was like, he was like, I want to take over the world. Right. Um, <laughs> so he had to change his style a little bit and, uh, and, and make his songs way more upbeat. And, um, and he did. And it's exactly what he did. Mm-hmm. Until he was selling more concert tickets than U2 and the Stones. 
<laughs> yeah, totally. <laughs> I know he's like one of the biggest things in the world. I mean, as you just said, it's crazy. He is, he is the biggest thing. I yeah. mean, people in terms of selling concert tickets, he is the biggest thing in the world. Yeah, he sells them. He sold the, the most. He sells more concert tickets around the world than Coldplay, than like U2, The Stones, Beyonce. I mean, it's like he, it's insane. Mm -hmm. And he's just up there with a guitar and a loop pedal. <laughs> it's just him. It's crazy. I mean, I've, op I've opened a couple of shows for him. It's like you're watching it going like, this is, I mean, he's insanely talented, but you're watching it going like, this is, this something like this has never happened before. Right. It's usually to do this, you have to have dancers. And I mean, it has to be like a show. Like it's, you know, it's crazy. It's him and a little acoustic guitar like that costs like a grand. And like, <laughs> and you're just like, and people are going crazy. And you're like, oh my God, dude, you are, you just, you just changed the whole game. Right. That is crazy. Yeah. That is crazy. And he used to come to my shows when he was younger. Like he was like, he just wanted to be Damien Rice. He wanted to be Snow Patrol. He wanted to be me. He wanted to be like, he just wanted that acoustic singer songwriter thing. Uh -huh. And then, and then was like, well, you know what? There's a ceiling on that. Uh, I don't know if theaters are going to do it. How about if I just sell out every football stadium in the world? <laughs> right. <laughs> That's funny. That is really funny. Um, so what? Still the Sorry. most humble. He's still the most humble kid you'll ever meet in your life. It's crazy. The fact that he was in—I was like—I've never seen Ed Sheeran. I've loved I, his songs are obviously huge hits. Uh, the fact that he did that movie uh, yesterday, the Beatles one, and it was Coldplay. He uh, he <laughs> he's like the you know the he he's competing with the guy that's that's rewriting all these Beatles songs and his phone rings and it's his song. Like, I thought that was so funny that he, that he did that. Like the, the he'll like the self-deprecating yeah. kind of thing that he does is yeah. really funny. I think deep down, he obviously he knows he's talented, but I think deep down he, he can't even believe like, what is, you know, yeah. like, what is I'm, happening? The biggest thing in the world. Like I'm doing du duets with Beyonce. Like what? Right. Right. <laughs> yeah, just like I saw that that scene in the movie, it still cracks me up. Like his, it's his own song ringing on his cell phone. Oh, hey. <laughs> oh, man. So, well, obviously, that, that record, Simple Times, is gigantic. Does huge. They totally Whoa, That's relative. Gigantic is a relative term. <laughs> uh, I don't we know. And Sheeran. So, if you're talking about commercial success, there's nothing I've ever done that's been remotely close to being gigantic. But um, but it was my biggest commercial success, that's for sure. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so the next record you put out was The Rock and the Tide. When did you... When that's when that? I just... With a Danish rock band in London. It was like, fuck it, man. I'm going to get an electric guitar and see what that's like and play a live album with a Danish rock band in London and see what... And I turned it in and even the people at Warner were like, no, this is not what we signed up for. You, you know, like, I just was like... Well, I want to try something new. I just started out as a musician and I was like, so, you know, looking back on it, I mean, I'm always glad I just make decisions based on in the moment, but I mean, had I really played the game a little bit more with the guy who took, I'd rather be with you and made it a radio hit around the world, you know, maybe 
I would have made and played more acoustically and uh, gave him at least like something a little bit more like that that he could follow up with, you know, I probably would have. Uh, so right after I, I, I told him that if you don't want to release the Rock and the Tide, I'll uh, uh, you just then just drop me and uh, we'll part we'll part ways amicably and I'll um, I'll go I'll release it on my own with the indie label in the states and that's what I did. And that's when is that when you signed with Mom and Pop? Yeah, I was their first. Uh, no, no, Simple Times. I signed with Mom and Pop. Oh, okay. But they in America, they were um, I they like I gave money back to Columbia and then signed with Mom and Pop. They had never. Um, I was their first signing. Like they weren't a label yet. Wow. And they so have huge time, artists. I mean, they and Simple, they. Simple Times was the first record they ever put out, and and I was their first signing. Oh my gosh! I didn't know that. That's so cool. I'm a huge fan of that label. They've had amazing bands come through there. Alice Merton was on them. Even like Fiddler, they signed everything. Like the whole Tom Morello, like the the scale of artists they they sign is so cool. Yeah. So, you know, they, that was mutually beneficial for both of us. Like they, you know, my record did well, especially overseas. Um, and then uh, so they had that. And then. Um, Although they didn't really make money on that because Warner had me outside the States and mom and pop just had me inside the States. But, uh, but either way, they didn't, it, it was a good thing for them to have a record that actually had some success as their first record they signed. But in terms of money, I mean, those guys, um, they were managing uh, Metallica. So they didn't really, they weren't hurting for money. <laughs> sure. <laughs> And then that next record you put out, you had a chance to work with Janet Delvin, who I had a chance to interview, and she's fantastic. Um, and I met her one day. She came to my hotel room in London, in London, and we wrote one song. I had never tried to write a song for someone else before. Uh huh. And we wrote one song. I don't know whatever even happened to that song. I never saw her again. Never heard of her again, actually. I don't even really? Know. Yeah, no. I, and I've heard her name since you just mentioned it. In oh, that's maybe funny. Eighteen years. She put out this fantastic record uh, last year, the year before, where it's basically like her whole life story. And she did this like long novel that kind of went with it. And she's such a oh, great oh, cool. artist. Yeah. She was, she was a kid she, when, I, when I met her. She was like 15. I don't know. Like, oh, my gosh. I don't, I don't know. The label kind of sent her over. To, I'm curious to know how you got to how that all kind of came together. Someone at the label. I was in London a lot making that rock on the tide record mm -hmm. and uh someone i don't even remember it was so long ago someone must have been like hey this young girl we just signed she's writing with all these people would you want to try to write a song with her for her album and i was like that sounds like an interesting uh thing and i listened to one one of her songs i liked her voice mm -hmm. uh, and and we met like literally three hours wrote a song had a coffee and was like well all right good luck to you I, I don't, <laughs> made the i mean she was a kid like it was like it wasn't like we were gonna go hang out like it was like let's go right. get a drink right like, right so <laughs> uh, and i just remember i think yeah i think i remember the song that we wrote together didn't go on her album so i have no no idea what ever happened to it that's and never funny. thought about it again honestly that's so funny <laughs> it was she, really, she like i said if you have a chance to check out her her most recent record it's really good <laughs> okay now you reminded me of her. She was a really sweet kid. So I wonder, she must be like 30 now or something. So I don't know. Yeah.
she she had, she did all she got sober i guess she had a real drinking problem and uh that oh, pretty no. much the record is about that yeah it's it's an incredible story well, i'm it's glad i wasn't album. the one who brought her a drink when she was 15. exactly <laughs> right 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 you someone know? else offered her a drink after a writing session <laughs> Uh, well, um, when did you have a chance? When when was the Ellen DeGeneres? Because um, you you got to promote her. You promoted a record with her, right? And then you went. How did you get to do her wedding? And were you, did you just come fast oh. friends with her? I met her at a, um, a benefit in LA. I was sitting at the same table as her. Oh, and at the, it was my simple times. That second record had not come out yet. Um. And the first song off We Were Here is called uh, Sun Drenched World. And I was sitting at this benefit. Uh, I was like a plus one. Like someone uh, brought me to a benefit. I was like, oh, sure, I'll sit and have dinner. And I, they said, uh, Rodrigo E. Gabriela is going to play. And I was like, oh, cool. I'd love to watch this. Then I was listening to them a lot. And they were awesome. And so I was like, I'll go to that. There was the Art of the Elysium. That's what it was for, this, this charity. So there's probably like 12 people, you know, those one of those big round tables and there's a bunch of those round tables. She happened to be sitting across from me with her now wife, Portia. Mm-hmm. And next to them was Ryan Seacrest. Oh, wow. And you got quite the table. <laughs> American Idol had used a few of my songs off that first album. Like uh, when someone would, when, like a mom taught, I never watched American Idol, but they, someone told me like, a montage would come out uh, like a sad montage, you know, that they would show for one of the contestants and they'd use one of my sad acoustic songs oh, as score. Wow. Anyway, uh, I guess Ryan and Ellen were like very close friends. They were sitting next to each other and Ryan said, oh yeah, I know, I know your music. Uh, we've used a few songs on American Idol. And I was like, yeah, that's right. Um, and Ellen was like, oh, who, who are you? Uh, what, what's your music sound like? And right as she said, what's your music sound like? My song, Sun Drenched World, the first track off We Were Here, came out, started playing on the speakers. Like wow. Rodrigo started playing yet. And I literally was like, so serendipitous. And I, I was like, well, this is what it sounds like. <laughs> but I couldn't have scripted it any better. And she sits there and she's listening and she's like, I love this. And I was like, oh, thank you so much. And she was like, ah, you have to come on my show and play. And I was like, okay. And I just thought she was, you know, being nice, you know, or being like Hollywoody. I didn't. You know. Right, right. Um, the next day, my manager gets a call. And then she calls me and she goes, you're not going to believe this. Did you meet Ellen DeGeneres last night? And I said, I did. <laughs> and she said, they have a cancellation at the Ellen show on the music. Um uh, the musician, uh, the band uh, had to cancel. They need to fill the music spot. Can you get over to the Ellen show today? You're like, yes. <laughs> and I was like, yep. <laughs> Called my band. I was like, meet me at the Ellen show. At, you know, at the at the studio lot. Like, you know, whatever. We're like, go, go, go. We go over there for sound check. And I was like, what do I play? What should I play? I didn't have a single. You know, like. <laughs> I played my song today, which is on that record. Uh-huh. I don't know. I can't remember why my manager and I chose that song to play. I was already off Columbia and not yet on Mom and Pop yet. Okay. I was in, I was in the studio making Simple Times. 
So I was like, shit, what do I play? Like, I don't have any like upbeat songs for daytime TV. Like they don't have songs like mine on these shows. But anyway, I sound checked that song today with my band. I look over and Portia and Ellen are standing by the cameras while I'm sound checking for, to tape the show later in the day. Uh-huh. And they're both with crying. I, and I'm like, oh my God, I look over my band. I'm, they're seeing this? Like, what's going on? This is crazy. And uh, they, um, I basically uh, finish the sound check, put my guitar down, and Ellen and Portia walk up to me and they go, uh, actually, I walked up to them. My band's, you know, putting down their gear. And I walked up to them and I was like, hey, nice to see you again. Thank you so much for inviting me to play. Like, it's so nice to meet you last night. And uh, anyway, they were like, we are, we've been wanting to get married and we don't know what we're going to do, but that song you just sound checked, we've never heard that song before. I, as you were sound checking it, they were crying, holding each other. And they were like, that's the song. That's what we want to walk down the aisle to. And I was like, okay. And again, I thought maybe they'll put the CD on and whatever. Right. I never think about it again, except, wow, how nice were they? And seemed so in love. And, and then I'm on tour, basically, like three months later. And my manager calls and like, you're not going to believe this. But Ellen and Portia canceled. They were going to have a huge wedding with like all the celebrities out in LA. They canceled it. It became too stressful. Um, they were going to have Justin Timberlake do the whole thing. Because I guess they're close friends. Of course. <laughs> And uh, and they were like they canceled the whole thing. They canceled Justin Timberlake. Everything. Um, they just want. They wondered if they could fly you in to LA. I was in Salt Lake City playing a show the night before. Luckily, I had a day off. Uh-huh. They flew me into LA. I had to buy a suit. I had to like go buy a suit at the mall in Salt Lake City. There was nothing open. It's like a Sunday <laughs> in Salt Lake City. Um, I think I had to go to Banana Republic. Uh, in the mall (laughs) like at the time I don't think I owned a suit let alone whatever so they basically uh, said um, we're getting married in our house 20 people just our family Uh, will you play like that song today and like six of your songs for for us in my house and I was like okay and I went hung out, played six of my songs while they sat right in front of me and like cried. Like, oh my gosh. And I was like, this is, I was so nervous. I was like, this is crazy. Uh, for just their family and Ryan Seacrest. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Ryan Seacrest made the cut. <laughs> literally 21 guests. Um, just their family. Portia's from Australia and Ellen's from New Orleans. And, uh, and they were just so sweet. Anyway, she invited me later on to come on, uh, to come back and not just play. When Simple Times was coming out, she was like, mm-hmm. well, come on. And I played I'd Rather Be With You and Today. She let me play two songs. Whoa. And sat me down on the couch for an interview, not just the music. And she was like telling the audience, and you know, I love this. And she was telling the story about how we met. And um, then he, he, I came and played the wedding. And that time, mom and pop, uh, they they timed it perfectly to release Simple Times, um, and they said uh, 
so they timed it perfectly with the Ellen show. So obviously the next day, the Ellen aired, my, my album comes out and Ellen airs the same day. And it, so the record, the album went to number one on iTunes. And then, wow. and I never looked back. Man. We already talked about it real fast, but do you have any advice for aspiring artists? Uh, well, I give you one piece that, that I always say, they always buy, buy, grow into the gear um, that you buy. So you're, you really love it. And you're like, you feel guilty if you don't use it and play it. Uh, and don't take yourself too seriously. 